Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fired Up podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to download and listen to us again. We appreciate your continued support for what we're doing. Um, We've got a really big show for you this week. Uh, We are in the middle of, I guess, our first official heat wave up here in the Northeast where uh, we broadcast the show from. Uh, We've had a couple of days where the temperature's been above 90 degrees, so I guess we can say that summertime is really coming on strong. Uh, Before we get into the show proper, I just want to take a second and shout out the WJMS team for participating in the Lung Cancer Research Foundation uh, Cancer Walk this weekend in New York City. Uh, They held it down at the uh, South Port, uh, the Seaport. And, you know, again, we had a very hot day, but it was well attended and all of the the walkers were very enthusiastic. The WJMS team was in the house. WJMS Media was the official uh, media channel for the walk, and we're very proud of that and wish to thank LRCF for that honor. Um, Our CEO, uh, Ms. Jamie Jams, uh, was leading the parade. And of course, you know, if you've followed not only my show, but her shows uh, here on WJMS Media as well, as, you know, have. visited the website, uh, you know uh, Jamie's story. She is a uh, battler against uh, stage four lung cancer. Um, And, you know, she is right now, uh, it seems to be, you know, under control. And we're happy about that. And we're thankful for that. Um, But, you know, clearly, she is a cancer warrior. And, um, you know, has devoted not only her time and her energy, but her platform to raising awareness, raising um, knowledge about lung cancer, uh, and, and doing all that she can. Also, uh, it is not too late if you wish to donate to support uh, lung cancer research and you know, support the WJMS team. Uh, if you go to the WJMSradio.com website, you will see a link there where you can uh, read up on the, the, the things that WJMS Media is doing with the Lung Cancer Research Foundation and also uh, take an opportunity to donate to the cause. So once again, shout out to the WJMS team and uh, we continue in our battle on, on the behalf of cancer patients everywhere and of uh, Jamie and, you know, all of that in particular. So that being said, let's get into our show. As always, we start off with a recap of the COVID numbers. Um, And, you know, we do this not just to spout the numbers, but we do this to maintain awareness as to the fact that this pandemic is still out there. It is still progressing. So we're currently at Uh, 83.2 million cases that have been reported. And as I I stated um, in the last podcast, we have achieved sort of an infamous milestone in that we have over 1,000, 1 million, excuse me, 1 million, 2,000 people who have died in the U.S. from COVID-19. 
Um, you know, that, that milestone has been widely reported. Uh, the numbers, which come in in different frequencies, so it's sometimes hard to nail down an up-to-the-minute number, but we clearly are, are over and perhaps well over 1 million uh, people who have uh, suffered from and died from COVID-19. And in the same vein, we have uh, 582 million people in the U.S. who have been vaccinated. And that includes people who have received at least one dose and people who are fully vaccinated. So, you know, we continue to make that progress. Uh, but I do call out to say, you know, if you haven't gotten vaccinated uh, or if you're vaccinated and haven't got your booster, uh, please go out and get that done. Uh, that is your best weapon against the COVID-19 and its variants. And, um, you know, we, we just need to keep that effort up so that we can, you know, get this pandemic under control. Uh, and so having said that, there's something interesting that you may have heard in the media over the last few weeks. Um, and it is a a new disease, well, not a new disease, but a, a new-to-us disease that has uh, surfaced and is uh, cases are being reported in Europe and in Africa and in the United States as well, and it is the monkeypox. Now, I, I get that that sounds like, you know, kind of a, a, a humorous um statement that there is a disease out there called monkeypox, but I'm here to tell you that it is a very real uh, disease. It is a uh, part of the smallpox family, um, and, you know, it is not new. Uh, it has surfaced, you know, many times over the last, uh, you know, 50, 60 years uh, in various parts of the world. As I said, it is related to smallpox, um, and it has made a resurgence. Now, you know, information is coming out about the nature of this disease uh, and, you know, where it comes from and how it spread. Uh, what I've seen so far in the medical news is that this disease uh, is a result of some physical interaction um, you know, between uh, creatures, between animals, you know, most notably uh, monkeys and humans, um, and it is spread by, you know, direct uh, physical contact and also through airborne um, particles. So, you know, it, it is a, a new disease that is coming to the United States, one of the things that is, if, if you could say, encouraging about this disease or one of the things that gives us the most hope in terms of combating and, you know, um, pushing this disease uh, away is the fact that, number one, it is not a new uh, disease such as the, the coronavirus uh, was when it first appeared, uh, you know, three years ago. Um, and it is one that we already have um, vaccines, you know, in the, the bank that we can use against it, most notably the smallpox vaccine, 
which is, according to the CDC and health officials, um, you know, 85% plus uh, effective in uh, eliminating the disease and combating the disease in, in the human body. And that because it is a, a known and stable vaccine, uh, we know exactly um, how the human body will react to it and so forth. So the, the learning curve that we went through with coronavirus um, is, is not anywhere near as big a deal as, as dealing with monkeypox as, as we move forward. However, you know, it, it is going to add some, some wrinkles to what we have to do to keep ourselves healthy and safe. So we'll keep an eye on the information coming out of the CDC and the health community on this and also keep you apprised of what our politicians are doing about um, this, this disease. Hopefully it, it gets you know, a, a lot more timely response than coronavirus did in this country at least. So you know, let's, let's dig in a little bit on um, what it is. Um, so in, you know, in the, the news um, that came out, um, you know, and it, it, there's an article that cites um, the, the presence of monkeypox in the United States. And, you know, it, it talks about, you know, what it is and so forth. So we'll take a quick, quick run through this article. I'll post a link to it on the, um, the podcast page on Facebook so that you know you can read it for yourself. Uh, the first thing that it notes is that you know in the U.S. cases of monkeypox are very rare. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, it does not occur naturally in the United States, but cases have happened that were associated with international travel or importing animals from areas where the disease is more common. So you know according to the Centers for Disease Control. And, you know, they're working in collaboration with the Massachusetts Department of Public Health uh, to investigate situations with monkeypox that, that are showing up here in the U.S. And they're investigating a situation in which a U.S. resident tested positive for monkeypox on May 18th after returning to the U.S. from Canada. The CDC is also tracking multiple clusters of monkeypox that have been reported in early to mid-May in several countries that don't normally report monkeypox uh, infections, and these include Europe and North America. And you know, while it says it's not clear how people in these clusters were exposed to monkeypox, as I said, you know, before it is seems to be prevalent in um, people who have traveled to countries where. Uh, it is uh, more present, um, you know, and they've mentioned Africa as being one of the the primary uh, countries uh, where monkeypox is prev is prevalent. Um, and it, it is saying that people who have imported uh, animals uh, into the U.S. from other countries also um, have been exposed to monkeypox. Another element is that they are saying that. Because of the disease is transmitted um, individual to individual through direct physical contact, and you know that um, studies uh, and, and information um, about cases do include people who self-identify as men, 
who have had sex with other men. Uh, the CDC is urging healthcare providers in the U.S. to be alert for patients who have rash illnesses consistent with monkeypox, regardless of whether they have travel or specific risk factors for monkeypox, and regardless of gender or sexual orientation. So, you know, we 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 see a potential pathway here. Um, you know, and. It, it, it is something that the Biden administration is taking seriously. And uh, on the 22nd, the, um, a Biden administration health official, Ashish Jha, said that he expects that monkeypox will not have a widespread impact in the United States. Uh, he's quoted as saying, I feel like this is a virus we understand, close quote, uh, as he mentioned on Sunday's ABC's This Week. Um, you know, speaking to uh, show host Martha Raddatz, um, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator said monkeypox is far different than coronavirus since it is not something new and treatments already exist for it. In the interview, Ja was quoted as saying, uh, quote, we have vaccines against it. We have treatments against it, and it is spread very differently than SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it is not as contagious as COVID, so I am confident we are going to be able to keep our arms around it. Uh, but Ja did agree in, in the, the interview on ABC that with President Joe Biden that the situation bears watching. I think the president is right, he said. Anytime we have an infectious outbreak like this, we should all be paying attention. So... You know, and, and the article goes on to cite the cases have been confirmed in recent days in a number of European countries, as well as in the United States, Canada, and Australia, suggesting that the disease might have become more transmissible uh, than before. Um, it is, as I said earlier, monkeypox is related to smallpox, although it is less deadly. Um, you know, Ja told uh, show host Martha Raddatz, uh, what we know is that this virus is evolving very quickly and every iteration of it has more and more immune escape. So, you know, we, we now have uh, something else of a medical nature to keep our eye on it. Um, you know, he, he also stated in the interview, we are also planning for a variety of scenarios, including a wave of infection this fall and winter, and making sure we have a new generation of vaccines that are being worked on right now, that we have availability of treatments and testing, and we have the resources. So, you know, one of the things that uh, distinguishes this uh, disease from, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is a, it's not new. I mean, it's, its genetics are known. Uh, it is a relation to smallpox. It, it operates in much the same way. So we have, you know, longstanding smallpox vaccines that are very effective. We have treatment options. We know how to test for it. Uh, so we don't have a, a steep learning curve as we did with covid so even though this, you know, may become a bigger problem for the U.S., you know, as we move through the balance of the year, you know, going into fall and winter, uh, we also already have um, more tools in the, in the toolkit uh, at our disposal 
at the outset. So, you know, the the calculation from the administration is that this is something that we will be able to you know mitigate and and as he said get our arms around and 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 control it better than we did with covid last year so we will keep our eye on that we will keep you posted you know as you know in information and as uh new sources come available to us so stay tuned keep listening to the podcast so let's uh pivot quickly into political news um, you know, as I said, we, we've gotten our first taste of uh, something akin to a summer heat wave. And even though we've been in a political heat wave, you know, for the, the last you know, 10 years or so, um, I do want to get into uh, something and, and recap something that I, I put out there uh, on a podcast. I believe it was two podcasts ago. Uh, where I, I told you about an Oklahoma uh, bill that was being proposed uh, on uh, requiring males to get vasectomies as part of the uh, anti-abortion uh, thinking. Well, newspaper article um, Business Insider uh, produced, uh, which came out on Sunday, uh, it seems like maybe they're listening to my podcast because uh, they're reporting that an Oklahoma state rep proposed a, a legislation that would mandate young men get mandatory vasectomies. Uh, and the article uh, was produced on the 22nd, and it states that an Oklahoma state rep proposed an idea for legislation that would make it would make vasectomies mandatory for young men in the state. Speaking before a floor of legislators, State Rep. Mickey Dollins said on Thursday that he is thinking about introducing the legislation next year. Uh, and he, he's quoted as saying, I would invite you to co-author a bill that I am considering next year that would mandate that each male, when they reach puberty, get a mandatory vasectomy that's only reversible when they reach the point of financial and emotional stability. Uh, he told that to the GOP lawmakers who were present. If you think that's crazy, then I think that maybe you understand how 50% of Oklahomans feel as well, the Democrat said. And yes, you heard me right. Uh, an Oklahoma Democratic state rep made uh this statement and is looking to author this legislation so as i've said before it's not just republicans it's not you know it, it's both sides of the aisle that are playing this game um the article goes on to cite how dolan's remarks uh were made as the oklahoma legislature debated hb 4327 a restrictive law that effectively bans abortion from the moment of fertilization the legislature on Tuesday passed the bill, and Governor Kevin Stitt is expected to sign it into law. Uh, if enforced, Oklahoma's law would be one of the strictest abortion restrictions in the country. The legislation, of course, is coming as the Supreme Court weighs overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, we've talked about before. Um, and 
you know, it, in, in light of the information that has come out from the leaked memo from uh, Associate Justice Samuel Alito, um, you know, and he's quoted as saying, abortion will remain legal in the United States until the court hands down a final verdict, which could come as early June. Um, but the article cites that the leaked draft opinion was enough to put reproductive rights activists and doctors who perform abortions on high alert. You know, and we've talked about this extensively, um, you know, over the the past year. And you know, while the the fact that the Republicans and conservatives uh, in in political leadership uh, are looking to overturn Roe, uh, the methods that they are choosing to do it at the state level vary widely. Uh, and right now, Oklahoma's law looks like it is going to move near the top of the list as one of the strictest uh, abortion bans in the country. So, you know, we, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, this uh, in this uh, episode, and we will continue to talk about it uh, in the podcast series as we go forward. Um, in in related news and we're going to spend much of the second half of our program today on this we're going to talk about um, replacement theory you know and just kind of a, a backgrounder on it from the respect of the fired up podcast uh, we have talked a lot both in in the podcast version of the show and in the uh, radio version of the show that preceded it about uh, you know, critical race theory and, you know, what the conservative right is trying to do with uh, CRT. Uh, and, you know, we, we've talked about Florida and Governor DeSantis. And we've talked about Texas and Governor Abbott, you know, and all of the states that are looking to basically uh, change the information provided about the history of this country with regard to uh, its treatment of enslaved people uh, from, you know, 1619 and forward. And, you know, the, the, newest, um, the newest part of that is this thing called replacement theory. So, you know, we're going to you know, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what replacement theory is, uh, how it relates to the changing voter demographics here in the United States, and, you know, what it is uh, leading to, for example, the uh, recent uh, mass shooting that happened in Buffalo. So we're, we're going to bring all of that up right after we take this short break. So stay tuned, uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back after the break. I got there, I approached the gentleman at the counter. 
and told him what I wanted. I showed him my veterans card. He said, that was no good. He said, you had to have a state-issued ID card in order to be able to vote. Seniors, women, people of color, young adults, those with low incomes, people with disabilities. Every citizen needs to review your documentation now to make sure you can vote in November. Please check with your local county election board to make sure the name on your photo ID closely matches the name you used when you registered to vote. Please contact us at 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-687-8683. All right, and we're back. So, um... We've talked a bunch about the uh, upcoming uh, decision on Roe versus Wade and uh, what's going to happen to uh, the legal protections for uh, a woman's right to get an abortion in this country. Uh, and, you know, I- I'm not going to go back down there. You can check out the last three or four podcasts that I've put out. And I've, I've delved into that subject um, in, in some detail. But what I will say is that you, you, when you look at the effect of you know, a ban on abortions uh, will create in this country. I know in a previous podcast I talk about the number of children who will be born and placed for adoption and how are we as a society going to handle that, uh, you know, potentially another, you know, 100 to 200,000 children entering the adoption realm each year nation, nationwide. Uh, but there's something else that I, I want you to consider. And, you know, I, I don't pose this as a, a statement of fact, but I do pose it as something to keep in the back of your mind when we we talk about the strategic and tactical approaches that politicians take uh, with with laws and with how they are applied here in this country. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, what the impact uh, for a ban on abortion, whether it's in the collection of red states we have now, or as has been proposed uh, by some legislators at the national level uh, making it a national ban on abortions um, in, in this country. Uh, something to keep in mind is, you know, when, when you talk about the demographics of the United States and you talk about, in particular, the birth rates, uh, the, the white population uh, in America, according to census data, has shown that the birth rate for white children in this country has decreased uh, over the years, while the birth rate for non-white children uh, has actually increased. And you know this increase, you know, has been you know long known, and um, you know authorities and and scientists, you know, all over have you know stated on more than one occasion how 
by sometime around the middle of this century that uh, white Americans will no longer be a mathematical majority uh, in this country. And this has fueled you know, much discussion over the years. And the most recent uh, discussion topics are revolving around something called replacement theory. Now, you know, we've talked on this show at, at length about, you know, critical race theory and, you know, the, the information scrubbing that's being uh, proposed and, and trying to be executed here in this country. Replacement theory is a, um, a theory that is, is put forward that non-white uh, people in this country are out to actively replace white people in this country uh, as, you know, the, the numerical majority race here in the United States. And uh, Will Carlos uh, wrote an excellent article in USA Today that I'm going to talk through uh, over the, the balance of this second segment. And he's, he, the, the headline is, Yes, American Voter Demographics Are Changing. No, that's not what replacement theory is. And as I said, this is an extremely uh, interesting article. I absolutely uh, will include a link to it on the Facebook page. Uh, and I encourage you to go out and read it in its entirety. I'm going to uh, go through it um, in, in a less detailed fashion, but I'm going to hit the high points and uh, you know, give you some information that needs to be considered when we have discussions about replacement theory and, you know, and beyond that, uh, needs to be factored into the equation of what will happen in this country if uh, Roe is overturned. And, you know, all indications are that, that it will be if you believe 100% that the leaked uh, Alito memo is going to be the actual um, details of what the Supreme Court decides. As I, as I said, this is a, a very well-written article, uh, and he starts out with three bullet points that kind of sets the framework for what he's going to be uh, discussing in the article. Uh, the first is, you know, it talks about la the, the mass shooting that happened in Buffalo um, about 10 days ago, um, and that this has drawn renewed attention to a racist conspiracy theory known as replacement theory. The theory is often mischaracterized and confused with demographic changes that are happening in the United States. It's the second uh, framing bullet point he posts. And the third one is true replacement theory posits not just that demographics are changing, but that this change is being orchestrated by a sinister cabal. Now, you know, it, it, it is being put out there that, you know, this this effort at replacement theory is being orchestrated by um, by Jews and it's, it's coming from Israel and, and coming from the Jewish community and so on and so forth. Um, that be that as it may, uh, it, it's, you know, again, all part of the conspiracy theory. Um, so the article starts, you know, talking about, you know, the the racist mass shooting that left 10 people dead in Buffalo, New York, put national con attention on a concept 
that has alarmed experts in extremism for years. Uh, and it's called replacement theory, or it's also known as the Great Replacement. Uh, the attack targeted black people, and the man charged in the shootings purportedly wrote a hate-filled document nearly 200 pages long, as well as hundreds of pages of a personal diary posted online before this shooting and cited the conspiracy theory extensively. Uh, the racist belief was the shooter's primary motivation, according to experts who study the documents. Authorities worked to definitively link the file to the suspect, uh, an 18-year-old uh, white male uh, from upstate New York. Uh, I will not, you know, state his name on the show. Uh, I, as I said, I generally don't talk about the people. I talk about the processes. So, goes on to say, before and since the attack, political commentators have sparred over what exactly replacement theory is. They debate whether the concept that matured on extremist websites and chat rooms is really the same thing as the talking points used by mainstream conservative pundits and politicians. So, you know, this article, you know, seeks to give an understanding of the idea and its connection to hate crimes, and it requires examination of what replacement theory is. And, uh, and you know, I, I like this in the article. He's going to start with what it's not. So what replacement theory is not, you know, and he writes, there's widespread consensus among demographers that the racial and ethnic makeup of America, of the American electorate, excuse me, is changing. And it always has. Broadly speaking, if demographic trends continue, experts expect that white Americans will become less than the majority of the population toward the middle of this century. Uh, legal and uh, illegal immigration combined with generally higher birth rates among non-white U.S. residents mean that the country is shifting toward an electorate that is majority non-white. Demographers at the Brookings Institution use census data to estimate that whites will become less than 50% of the U.S. population around the year 2045. Whites will still be the, lar the largest single racial group but they will be outnumbered by non-white voters, according to census predictions. And, you know, it says, predictions aside, the fact that demographic change exists in America is not what replacement theory is. That involves a further crucial step. So the, the second segment of the article talks about what replacement theory is. And, you know, as far as this podcast goes, we've made mention of it, but we haven't really delved into it. So we're going to try and do a little bit of that uh, in this episode. Uh, the ingredient that transforms a widely agreed upon statistical phenomenon into a fallacious conspiracy theory is the assertion that these demographic changes are orchestrated specifically for political gain. According to the to replacement theory, the changing racial makeup of the country is not a natural or organic process, but an organized effort by a powerful and shadowy group. And the article states, for many pushers of this theory, that shadowy group is the Democratic Party and other liberals, assisted by an imagined Jewish cabal, said Marilyn Mayo, a senior research fellow at the Anti-Defamation League's Center on Extremism. 
quote, instead of saying that non-whites are coming here and replacing white people, the language that is used is we're having an invasion over the border and that this liberal administration and Democrats are letting these immigrants from third world countries uh, in with the purpose of changing the demographics of this country, she's quoted, or Mayo is quoted as saying. There's been no evidence that this is happening. Uh, it goes on, in the months before the Buffalo shooting, high-profile figures reiterated this uh, allegation. Uh, the article continues with who promotes race replacement theory. Um, you know, it calls out Fox News as Tucker Carlson, who hosts one of the highest rated shows in primetime TV, made repeated claims about replacement in recent months. According to the Anti-Defamation League, uh, Border Patrol Union President Brandon Judd pushed the theory during a TV appearance on Fox. So neither they or other um, sources and, or provocateurs have offered any evidence that an organized effort is underway to change the American electorate. Nor was evidence found on white supremacist websites, forums, and chat rooms where this theory gained popularity. Replacement theory rubs shoulders with other pseudoscience and disproven racist and hateful tropes that haven't been embraced by mainstream conservative pundits. The racist extremist, extremists I'm sorry, who marched in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, chanting, quote, Jews will not replace us, close quote, uh, a motto of the replacement theory crowd, offered no proof for their claims that they are being systematically replaced. So it, it asks, what uh, would one political side benefit if replacement theory were true? And the author answers back, not necessarily. There's a lot of discussion about how significant demographic change is in, is in political terms. Experts have long debated the idea that people of color are more likely to vote for left-leaning political candidates. We've heard, and, and stepping out, we've heard these arguments time and time again from the conservative side of the mainstream and even the less mainstream media outlets out there. Uh, continuing, uh, take the Sunshine State, said Alan Orr, president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. In areas such as Florida, he's quoted, a large number of people who are Hispanic and some even Latino vote Republican. So the concept that immigrants only vote for one party is ridiculous. I would add, stepping out from the article, that if you look at the demographics of those that voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election, particularly along the southern border of the country, along the southern states and the southern border uh, with Texas and Mexico, you will notice that uh, Donald Trump actually won those districts that are heavily Hispanic or Latino. So, you know, that argument is is kind of full of holes as well. Um, going back, even if white Americans become less than a majority of the population, they may not become less than a majority of voters, said William Frey, a demog demographer and senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. Frey said the assumption that voting results will be immediately altered by the changing racial makeup of the population is overly simplistic. White people, particularly older white people, are statistically more likely to vote in elections than Hispanic people in their 20s and 30s, for example, he said. 
People who cross into the country illegally may never be able to vote in elections. He's quoted, in the short term, I don't know that these changes make much of a difference to elections, he said. Turnout rates in all elections tend to be highest for people in their 50s and 60s and not high at all for the 18 to 20 or the 20 to 34 age group, which is the group that becomes more ethnically diverse. Electoral district boundaries mean non-white populations may still not be equally represented. So let's let's take a look at what we've what we've heard so far. Um, we've heard that you know replacement theory uh, is not a scientifically proven uh, uh, creation. Uh, it is a conspiracy theory. It is a uh, theory put forward by people looking to drive. Um, you know, certain segments of the political base in a certain direction. Um, what it is, is a, a way of saying uh, and creating that fear factor that conservatives and, you know, particularly Republican conservatives uh, use so much in trying to drive their base and, and gain followers by expressing a a supposed fear and po- and positing that they that their party is the answer to that fear. Uh, replacement theory is just another log in that fire, you know, along with CRT and, and others. And you know, it it also we 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 see and he's talking about that you know the the media sources and pundits out there. From you know mainstream sources, you know such as Fox News and and you know Newsmax and, and others of that um, that following uh, are the you know principal promoters of replacement theory as a problem for America, um, you know, and it, it is something that we the the thinking voters and the electorate need to be aware of need to, as we say on this, on this program often, need to be part of our uh, deeper dive in, in knowledge uh, so that we understand the truth of what's going on and not just one side or the other. Um, and, you know, saying that, you know, one particular uh, side will benefit if replacement theory is true. Uh, the, the history and the, and the demographics of who votes in this country also seems to prove that theory as being uh, less less whole than than it's proposed to be. You know the the article cites that it is older voters that will typically, as we look at the demographics going forward in the next you know 25 or 30 years, will still be uh, majority white. Uh, those are the the votes that will most likely determine where the political fortunes uh, go here in the U.S. So the article then pivots to uh, to raise the question, uh, did the alleged Buffalo shooter believe in replacement theory? And he talks about, you know, law enforcement officials um, haven't said much about it. They've remained tight-lipped about the slew of documents that the man charged in the Buffalo shooting may have posted online. Uh, before the attacks. Experts who study the documents told USA Today that they have no doubt they were written by him. They include a rambling document 
much of which was copied almost verbatim by a similar document posted by a racist mass shooter and hundreds of pages of posts made on the in instant messaging platform Discord. These documents spell out that the, uh, that the author was obsessed with replacement theory. The main document includes the word replace 32 times. In the Discord diary, the author details his warped reasoning for an attack and cites an inspiration ras I'm sorry, racist mass shooters uh, inspired uh, by the theory. Based on these documents, there's no doubt that replacement theory was his main contributing factor of the attack, said Kessa White, a re researcher who tracks extremists at the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab, uh, acronym P-E-R-I-L, or PERIL, at American University. So, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, while the argument can be made and seems to be fairly well substantiated, that the, the shooter in Buffalo uh, was acting on uh, information and, and encouragement by, you know, the replacement theory uh, sources out there. Um, you know, it may turn out that that's not the exclusive reason. I mean, clearly there, there are some, some health and medical and mental issues at play here, which, you know, we will learn over time and we, we will see how that transpires. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's clear that this theory, which, uh, has, has arisen out of, white supremacist discussion groups and, you know, chat forums and, and so forth, while not new, is, you know, something that has gained a lot of exposure uh, given the, the events of the last, you know, uh, 15 or 20 years going back, you know, through uh, the George Floyd murder, uh, through Black Lives Matter and, and before, um, and has been fueled by the the outrage and protest that has occurred over the treatment of you know non-white individuals and and white individuals at the hands of both police and non-police agents out there so you know white supremacists have discussed the idea going back into the article of a concerted effort to replace voters in majority white countries in Europe North America and Australia for decades. According to the Anti-Defamation League, the theory originated in the early 20th century from uh, French nationalists and books by French author uh, Maurice Bars. The French writer Renaud Camus popularized the term in a 2011 book titled The Great Replacement. In this country, the concept of replacement of white people has been honed by a modern breed of white supremacists who are concerned less with uh, promoting pseudoscience about the superiority of white people and more with convincing white people that they are under threat, Mayo said. It is essentially saying that this country is going to be changed drastically. Uh, many even go further and say that it's going to lead to the destruction of the country on some level. So, you know, as I said earlier in the segment, you know, one of the key things that, you know, these conspiracy theorists do and, and white supremacists do 
uh, and even to a certain extent what we hear coming out of the, the more mainstream conservative uh, talking spaces. Um, and, you know, one need only listen to various um, political figures uh, on the right uh, in, in their interviews that one of the biggest drivers uh, that is being applied here is the, the, the threat, the fear of being replaced. Um, even though the facts and the evidence and the statistics and the demographics uh, all discount that as a, a true thing, they are saying, you know, essentially they're coming for you. You know, and, and of course, you know who the there are and who the you is in that statement. Um, you know, and as as we say on this show, you have always got to, you know, dig wider, dig deeper to get more information and get closer to finding out the truth of the statement. Now, is or are rather um, non-white people in this country increasing in numbers yes that is that is a statistical fact um, the birth rate data if you look back over uh, census reports going back you know uh, not just 10 years but go back 20 30 40 years show you that there is a a continuing trend of a decreasing birth rate among white people in this country that is not uh, a point of dispute and and associated that there is an increasing birth rate among non-white people in this country. That's a, that is a fact. So statistically, that um, the, the white race in this country will become a statistical minority in this country uh, should not be under dispute. The one thing that, you know, the, the supremacists and, and other conspiracy theory people don't put forward because it would absolutely counter their argument, and I want you to think about this clearly, is that look at which racial group in the United States controls more wealth, political power, economic power, business power in this country than all others, and that's white people. White, the, the income levels for white Americans is, you know, 10 times what it is for black Americans and you know seven or eight times what it is for Hispanic Americans and five or six times what it is for Asian Americans. By far, white people control the power in this country. That is not going to change if white people become the statistical minority. They are still going to control most of the power most of the economics, most of the engines uh, of industry that drive this country. That's not going away. But they, the, the conspiracy theorists, they don't put that part of the argument in place. And that's you know, an example of what I mean, that you've got to dig deeper, dig wider. If you dig into the statistics on the, the wealth of white America, the home ownership levels, the number of uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies in this country, you will see a sea of whiteness. Now, I'm not saying that is a bad thing. That's just the way it is. But if, if you take that away and all you are focusing on is the fact that 
numerically, you know, white people are, are, are losing ground statistically uh, in terms of the number of people, then that is a very scary thing. But when you factor back in the fact that it is not really and, and you know, practical reality and history will back it up, that is, you know, that, that the power of white people in this country um, is not going to substantially diminish just because they are a numerical minority. Um, and that part of the argument, they don't tell you. But that's the part of the argument that needs to be brought out into the light. So if you are in a discussion with someone about replacement theory uh, in, and, you know, they are, are expressing the, the talking points about how, you know, non-white peoples in this country or immigrants or, you know, whatever are, are taking over control of this country, remind them of this, that, again, white people in this country have more money more houses, more CEO and C-suite positions, uh, control more of the stock market, control much of the the engines that drive the American experience than just the number of people they are. All right. And, you know, that that's a critical piece of the argument that you don't hear, but that needs to be part of the discussion. So. You know, and, and we also need to make sure that we are, we are challenging our political leaders with that message as well. So if they're you know, standing up and proposing legislation that's going to impact the number of you know, non-white people and, and you know, cue to the benefit of white people, we need to also make sure that we include in that discussion when we talk about the, the social, the economic, uh, the the power structures in this country and who's still going to control them. Uh, Because frankly, it really doesn't matter how many people you have if the number of people you have control the bulk of your, you know, economic and business and and all of all of that power. Uh, You know, it, it white people could be outnumbered three to one in this country and still be the economically dominant force in this country. That that is a, a fact. So, you know, while you know some people are pushing this, you know, replacement theory as the, the gloom and doom for white people, um, you know, to 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 coin a phrase, white people are gonna be all right. They're they're gonna they're still gonna make it. And you know the rest of us need to catch up. We need to become more of an economic power. Uh, and that's going to take a lot longer, truthfully. You know, there, there are huge economic and financial disparities between white and non-white people in this country that are going to have to be made up. And it, it will be long after they, the, the uh, white race is a numerical minority in this country. Uh, it will be a lot of years after that before we see any kind of challenge to their economic and, and you know, business power in this country. So, uh, you know, do the research. Check it out. As I said, I'll link this article and the others on the, the face, Facebook page. If you uh, have questions or want to have a discussion about it, please send email 
to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com and let me know your thoughts. I'd really love to hear what you think about, you know, not only uh, replacement theory, but critical race theory and, you know, what I talked about in terms of the economic and economic or economic power that is held by, you know, white people in America. All right. So we'll wrap it up there. Thank you all for, for choosing the Fired Up podcast as you do each week. Uh, go check out our archives. Uh, you can find them at uh, wherever you get your podcasts. They're on Google Play. They're on uh, iTunes. They're on Spotify and, and all of the, all the major platforms. Um, sign in and, and follow uh, WJMS. Follow my Facebook page and, you know, to keep informed as to what's coming with the show and information regarding the shows. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, please stay safe. Please keep in mind, you know, the, the pandemic is still out there. And I look forward to sending another podcast your way in seven days. Take good care, people. Mm-hmm.